Uh, what a joy it is once again to come together in fellowship and uh, also to come and worship the Lord in hearing his word. Uh, um, I'd also <laughs> like to welcome the Van Rensbergs who have been away for quite some time. Um, so this coming week is a cake week. Uh, <laughs> we have Elvin, we have Kali, we have Joanne, uh, we have uh, uh, Miss Kwanzoka. Yeah, so there, there will be a lot of cake. Uh, may God bless the eating of his cake. <laughs> um, we continue with our series in, Mark chap- in, in, in Matthew chapter 5. Christ-like attitudes. Last week we introduced the, the series by looking at verse 1 and 2, um, by looking at um, our preacher, by looking at the audience, and by looking at the sermon that he, he preached. Um, our preacher was Jesus Christ. We saw that it's, it's Jesus Christ. He's the one who uh, preaches this sermon. It's a sermon on the mount. Um, um, basically, it's from chapter 5 to chapter 7, but... Um, we are going to focus just on the first 12 verses of, 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 of the chapter. Um, today, I want us to look at verse 1 until verse 3, but our point of focus will be verse 3. Um, chapter 5, verse 1 to verse 3. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to verse 3. And we are going to look at the poor in spirit, the poor in spirit. I read from the ESV. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is the word of God. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word doesn't come down without accomplishing its mission. God, we pray that as we hear your word, you will draw our hearts to yourself today. You will teach us, oh God, to look to you, to depend upon you, to trust in you, and to hope in you. Help me even as I declare your word, O God, to um, share it and declare it with clarity of speech and clarity of thought. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So we're beginning today to consider with with detail each of these uh, Christ-like attitudes, which are historically referred to as the Beatitudes. And we will pay attention to to verse 3 which says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. See, it is very important to note the progression of these beatitudes, and in doing so, also to note the the place in which the first is, is, is found. As we have noted last week, as we have seen last week, that they are not randomly arranged. They, they are carefully and thoughtfully organized. 
You see, Martin Lloyd-Jones suggests that it's a spiritual, logical sequence. In other words, because the central theme of the whole Sermon on the Mount from chapter 5 to chapter 7 is, 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 is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it is necessary that the first beatitude be about the poor in spirit. Because one cannot enter the kingdom of God apart from it. It is the initial ground of the kingdom of heaven. In the 1950s, uh, there was a notorious man by the name of Mickey Cohen. Mickey Cohen. He was an American gangster and a boss of the Cohen crime family. And it is reported that at the height of his career, he, he was persu persuaded to attend an evangelistic uh, service in which he surprisingly developed an interest in Christianity. And this caused a buzz and excitement among, among Christians who thought about how much of an influence that Mickey Cohen could have for the Lord. Some prominent Christian leaders began to visit him in an effort to convince him to accept Christ. A day after repeatedly being encouraged to open his heart for the Lord, Mickey Cohen prayed a prayer. Hopes ran high among his believing acquaintances. But the problem is, as time passed, no one could detect any change in his attitude. There was no change at all. And finally, they confronted him with the reality that a Christian, uh, being a Christian meant he would have to give up his friends and his, his profession, his, his gangster profession. And Mickey Cohen objected to that. And this was his logic. Listen to this. He said, I mean, there are Christian football players. There are Christian cowboys. There are Christian politics, politicians. Why not a Christian gangster? Why not have a Christian gangster? So, this... It's the, it's the same thing that we see even today. That though people profess to have accepted Christ, they continue to live a life that they were living before they accepted Christ. They continue to live in that way. There is no sign of repentance. They, they remain self-sufficient and prideful. They remain still in a life of sin. Although they associate themselves with Christ, the truth is that they are nowhere near the kingdom because they have not experienced the poverty of spirit that the first beatitude insists is the initial ground of the kingdom of heaven. What we need today as Christians is to examine ourselves and to expose ourselves to the life-giving logic of the beatitudes. This is, the higher, this is of highest importance because this is where true blessedness lies. Jesus Christ says it is blessed to, 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 to have this attitude. This is the life that God smiles at. 
And I want us, even as we look at this verse, to consider two things in this verse. First, we are going to look at what does being poor in the spirit mean? And secondly, we are going to look at the promise to the poor in spirit. Let us look at the first point. What does being poor in the spirit mean? The question uh, then is, what is being poor in the spirit? And I, I want to start by answering that question by approaching it from the negative uh, point. We need to know first what it is not. What it is not. What Jesus is not saying. And let me give you two things uh, 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 that being poor in spirit is not. First of all, it is not referring to those who are materially poor. It is not referring to material poverty. Here, Jesus is not referring to someone who is materially impoverished. Jesus is, talking, is not talking about the condition of the wallet, but he's talking about the condition of the spirit. So, it is not poverty in relation to materials or, or finances. If, if, if this was the case, it would mean that salvation is by poverty. And in order for one to be saved, then they have to be poor first. They have to lose everything that they have in order for them to be saved. In fact, that's not true. You see, you can be as poor as a church mouse and still reject the grace of God pridefully. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, there is no merit or advantage in being poor. Poverty does not guarantee spirituality. This is a different kind of poverty that our Lord describes. And the nature of this poverty is described as poverty in spirit. Do you, do you get that? Do you see that? Okay. Uh, the second thing that poverty in the spirit is not is that it is not referring to those who are spiritually poor. I, 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 this might sound confusing, but listen to this. It is not referring to those who are spiritually poor. Let me, let me explain that. Let me try to explain that. There's a difference between being poor in the spirit and being spiritually poor. What is the difference? The later refers to people who lack in their spiritual disciplines. These are people who have a poor prayer life, a poor uh, 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 Bible reading, a poor fellowship. These are people who are poor in their spiritual disciplines. There is simply no virtue in being spiritually poor. It is not something to be celebrated. This is not what the Lord is saying, blessed are these people. The Lord is not saying, blessed are those who are spiritually poor, those who are spiritually lacking in their prayer life, in their Bible reading. This individual who neglects this kind of life is malnutritioned, is spiritually malnutritioned. There is no vitality in this kind of life. There is no joy and no blessing in being spiritually poor. In fact, here in this area, richness and abundance is encouraged. That a Christian must be fruitful in their walk with the Lord. Prayer, Bible reading, and fellowship must be your regular diet as a Christian. So the Lord is not referring to, first, material poverty. And secondly, He's not referring to those who are spiritually poor 
lacking in their spiritual disciplines. Now that we have dealt with it from, from the negative perspective, let us consider it from the positive perspective. What is being poor in the spirit? What is being poor in the spirit? You see, the New Testament has a couple of words, um, a couple of Greek words uh, for poor. One is uh, penikros, which is used in, in Luke chapter 20, 21, verse 2, referring to the poor widow who was giving um, an offering in the temple. Uh, and though this woman was poor, the Bible says she was poor, um, she at least had something she could offer at the temple. The second word is tokos. Tokos, used in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, which means to shrink, to cower, or, or, or to cringe. It gives us an idea of, 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 of a kind of poverty that is so deep that a person must obtain their living by begging. This is what Jesus Christ is referring to. He, he, this person is fully dependent on the giving of others and cannot survive without outside help. So it has been suggested that the word should accurately be translated as beggarly poor. Not just poor, but a beggar poor. And notice that this word is also qualified as poor in the spirit, right? Poor in spirit. So Jesus is talking about those who are beggarly poor in spirit. And what does that mean? Still, we need to ask, what does that mean? You see, this uh, uh, be being beggarly poor in the spirit is an acknowledgement of need. It's an acknowledgement of need in relation to spiritual resources. In other words, we see our position in relation to God. And we realize that there is nothing in us that naturally attracts the favor of God. It is acknowledging ourselves as unworthy before God. You see... This is not a virtue that is celebrated in the world around us. The world celebrates self-sufficiency. We, we hear slogans like, trust in yourself. We, we hear people saying, you have the power to do anything you want. Or people reciting the, 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 the words of the famous poem, Invictus, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. This is what the world uh, glorifies. This is what the world exalts. And they say you have the power in yourself. You have the ability in yourself. You are sufficient. They exalt self-sufficiency. They see themselves as being sufficient even before God. But Jesus Christ presents a different idea. He, he pronounces blessings on those who see their unworthiness before God, who, who see themselves as not sufficient in themselves, but as beggars at the mercy of God. He, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, these are the ones in whom the Father is well pleased. 
in whom the Father gives favor to the poor in spirit, those who acknowledge their unworthiness before God. This beatitude speaks of a person who sees themselves in light of who God is, who is not comparing themselves with other people, but with God and comes to see that he or she falls short. You see, there is no way that you can be in the presence of God and not feel yourself inadequate or poor in the spirit, as, the Lord, as our Lord puts it. In fact, the opposite would indicate that you have not encountered the God of the Bible, but a God of your own making. Consider the example of the Pharisee and the test collector. In Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to, to 14, Luke tells us that Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Listen to this. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And this led them to do what? To treat others with contempt. In verse 10, this is what Jesus Christ says. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a test collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. And when you look at it from the Greek, it shows, when you look at that word prayed thus in the Greek, it shows that he prayed to himself. He prayed to himself. He says, God I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterous, even like this test collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. He, he felt proud of his, religious, his religiosity. He, he, he felt proud of his good works, proud that he was better than other people. He, he did not feel his need for the forgiveness of God. No need for grace. He, his works for him were enough. They, they were sufficient to gain the favor of God. There was no brokenness over sin. He, he, he did not even acknowledge his unworthiness before God. He saw himself as worthy before God. But notice the text collector. Verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is a total, totally different disposition. He, he stands far off, as if to say, I am unworthy to approach the Lord. He, he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven as if to communicate, Lord, you are holy and I am not. He saw his great need before God, that he was a poor sinner before God, and he shouted, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. His confession here is marked by humility and dependence on God alone. The words of uh, Augustus' top lady could rightly be applied to this man. He comes to God with an attitude that says, nothing in my hand I bring, 
Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to, to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. This was his attitude as he approached God. Humble attitude before the presence of the Lord. And listen to what Jesus says as he concludes this parable in verse 14. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It is easy to take pride in the, in, in, in the fact that we are not like other people. To take pride in the fact that we, we pray more, we, we give more, we, we fast more. And this kind of attitude does not produce thankfulness to God. Uh, look at this attitude. Think about it. It does not produce thankfulness to God. But rather, it blinds us to our unworthiness and our inadequacies. Furthermore, it causes you to look down on other people who are not like you, who are not praying like you, who are not giving like you, who, do, who are not fasting like you, who are not as committed as you. You start to look down on them. You start to look with contempt upon these people. You begin to see them as lesser Christians. Instead of being gracious and encouraging to them, we pridefully say, get your act together. Why aren't you growing like me? This is contrary to the attitude that Jesus describes. In fact, it is pride. It is prideful. The humble are the ones who are poor in spirit. Humility is the foundation of Christ-likeness. Jesus Christ embodies this virtue perfectly. That is why he calls us to learn from him. And when even he, when he taught his disciples in, 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 in Mark chapter 10, um, in verse 45, he says this, when he was teaching them about humility, he says this in verse 45, he says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He embodies the virtue of humility perfectly. He is the paragon of humility, the epitome of humility, the perfect example. That is why Paul uses Jesus as the example of humility when he exhorts the church in Philippi to relate to one another with humility. Listen to what he says in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 8. Listen to what Paul, how Paul exhorts the church in, in, in Philippi. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 1 to, to, chapter 2, verse 1 to 8. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from, from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, 
being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Listen to what he says about Jesus Christ. In verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of of man and being found in, in, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Though he was in the form of God, he did not see equality as something to be grasped, he emptied himself. Does this describe you as a Christian? Is this you as a Christian? Can we read this passage and say, is this you? Husbands, can your wife say, can your wife stand up and say, amen, that's my husband. Wives, can your husband stand up and say, amen, that's my wife. Those are my kids. Is this describing you? Humility. Are you marked by humility in serving others? Or, or, or do you look only to your own interests? Do you have the mind of Christ in you? These are important things to consider because Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is where blessedness is. Humility. This is true blessedness. Uh, you might be asking yourself right now, how do I have this attitude in me? How do I get this attitude? Well, first of all, it is important to know that you cannot bring it, by, bring it about by yourself. Jesus says in John chapter 15 verse 5, apart from me you can do nothing. It is precisely starting on this note that you, you have nothing in yourself that can produce this attitude and throwing yourself as a beggar at the mercy of God. A poor beggar before God. J.C. Riley, the, the, the bishop of Liverpool emphasizes this, uh, this, this point in his uh, expository thoughts on the Gospels. This is what he says. He says, in themselves, believers have no life or, or strength or spiritual power. All that they have of, uh, of vital religion comes from Christ. They are what they are and feel what they feel and do what they do because they draw out of Jesus a continual supply of grace, help, and ability. Joined to the Lord by faith and united in mysterious union with him by the Spirit, they stand, they, they walk and continue and run 
the Christian race and, and, and run the Christian race. But every jot of good in them is drawn from their spiritual head, Jesus Christ. Whatever good we have comes from Jesus Christ. I remember in seminary, we, we, had, we were celebrating birthdays on Mondays every, every month. Um, and uh, when, it, when it's your birthday, your, your roommate is supposed to give uh, a speech about you. And um, Carl Bakken was, was, uh, was the one who had a birthday. And Phil Smith stood up to talk about Carl. And he says, Carl is not a good man. Whatever good you see in him is Jesus Christ. Upon these people who are described as being poor in spirit is the promise that follows them. Which leads us to our second point, and I'm just going to spend a few, just maybe two minutes or one. Second point is the promise to the poor in spirit. The promise to the poor in spirit. Just right there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The, the, the king promises those who, who come to him in humility the kingdom. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are the ones who realize that their own kingdom is a house of cards. That it is not secure. And so in humility, they give up their own kingdom to receive the kingdom of heaven. You see, pride will prevent us from the kingdom of heaven. John MacArthur says this. Where self is exalted, Christ cannot be. Where self is king, Christ cannot be. Until the proud in spirit become the poor in spirit, they cannot receive the king or inherit the kingdom. See, it is the delight of God to give the kingdom of heaven to those who are poor in spirit, who recognize their need before God. He exalts the humble and humbles the proud. In Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15, Isaiah says about God, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Listen to what God says. I dwell in, high and holy, in, in the high and holy place, and also with him, who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And again in Isaiah 66 verse 2, the Lord says this, This is the one whom I look, whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The Lord says, I will look at this kind of person. Even as we conclude and we think about this and meditate upon 
what we have heard, we should realize that humility is the most important mark of a Christian. But unfortunately, it is the most lacking. Humility is the wood that keeps the fire of unity burning. If we are to grow from strength to strength as the church, this is a quality that we need to pray for and to cultivate together. We need to pray in the, word, in the words of the hymn that says, Clothe me in humility, Lord, I pray. You who have given all I am, take this pride away. Free my thoughts to thankfulness and clothe me in your praise. Free my thoughts to thankfulness and clothe me, Lord, clothe me in your praise. Amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Indeed, Lord, this is your word. You have spoken to our lives. We pray that give us hearts that will receive your word, that will act on your word. And may we be faithful citizens of your kingdom. May we know, O oh God, that you are our king, and these are attitudes that you, you are building in us by your spirit who is working in our lives by your grace. God, may we shine. May we shine in these attitudes. May we not seek to be exalted, but seek to be humble before you that you may exalt us. May we be like John the Baptist who said of Christ, he must be lifted up and I must be debased. Work in our hearts as the church. Unite us in this attitude. For the sake of your name and your kingdom, we pray all this. Amen.